This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the second in a series of three special short episodes of the Known and Never podcast, part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. This week, as Christmas approaches and more importantly, the return of club football, we are featuring three Burnley Football Club related books that would make great gifts for the clarets in your life. In our first episode, we heard from Michael Hodkinson, author of the brilliantly titled Known and Never book on the East Langs rivalry. In this episode, we'll be hearing from club legend Barry Kilby, who has published his memoirs starting from scratch. Barry spoke to Statman Dave and George Poole recently about writing process and everything that's been going on in the world of Burnley Football Club since we last spoke to him just over a year ago for our special episode. We have a copy of Barry's book to give away, so do stay tuned to our social channels for your chance to win. Still to come this week, we'll be hearing from sports author and Clarets fan Tim Quelch, whose new book, Northern Exposure, is a 50-year-old diary of watching Burnley FC rise, fall and rise again. But for now, it's over to Dave, George and Barry. Gentlemen, take it away. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the No Name Never podcast in conjunction with the TalkSport fan network. Today I'm joined by George Poole and between us we're going to hear again from a very special guest who we both spoke to on the No Name Ever podcast just over 12 months ago. So firstly, hello George, how are you? Yeah, all good, thanks Dave. It always uh, makes the international break or World Cup break even sweeter when you go in with a win, top of the league and not to mention beating that lot from down the road. So in high spirits <laughs> after uh, after today's England win as well and it was good to see Trippier on the, start, on the starting Definitely. sheet for England. Definitely, definitely. Uh, second guest today has just released a new book, which is written in conjunction with the renowned Burnley FC author Dave Thomas, uh, published by Legends Publishing. It's entitled Starting from Scratch, Burnley Football Club, Business and Prostate Cancer. It tells the story of the life of Barry Kilby. Welcome, Barry. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here once again. Um, We covered quite a bit about Barry's early life when we spoke last time. Uh, You can still go back and listen to that uh, 
or watch that podcast that we did from uh, 12 months ago. Uh, that included uh, growing up in Great Harwood, his dad's love for the clarets, which he passed on, and also a successful business career, which put him in the position to invest in Burnley Football Club. Uh, this time, Barry, we want to focus more on your time at Burnley Football Club, starting with your rapid ascent to the club's board of directors and subsequent appointment as chairman in late 1998. Uh, so first of all, uh, regarding becoming chairman, uh, during that year of 1998, uh, there was a lot of speculation about a potential takeover. Uh, most of it involved US-based businessman Ray Ingleby uh, or a consortium which was fronted by Peter Shackleton. And it wasn't until round about late September of 1998 that your name was mentioned in the press. Um, how closely had you been following the situation in the Burnley boardroom prior to then? Well, I had been following the situation, obviously, because it was very obvious that the club uh, were in trouble uh, financially. And these names were, were there, but it would just seem to be moving on. But what happened was I was contacted by the club. Uh, I, sold, I sold my company. Uh, so I, it was that, that came being known in the public and I, I was I was asked uh, by Frank Teasdale would I come and have a chat with him so I went to see Chatterley's house um, Bob Blakebrook as well uh, he was there and very basically the line was we're in trouble will you come and be a director and put money in the club um, and the club was in a real mess as well because standard argued with the uh, the directors over various things and they weren't speaking to each other and it was a real mess and so that was how I was asked um, and I said yes because it's something that w that was there was like fantastic to me uh, to, to, to become uh, Burnley Football Club's biggest investor and leading on for that becoming the chairman of the club. Your name came into uh, the press round about, as I say, late September, early October, and then it was all sorted by uh, Christmas, wasn't it? By it, end it, of the it, it basically was. Yeah, um, it was. It was. It was. It was. It was even a bit earlier, uh, later than that, I think. Probably. Uh, yeah, going into October, November. No, you're correct. Um, and very basically, uh, I became. I, I got the shares just leading up to Christmas. And then from there, uh, I became chairman at the turn of the year. My first, uh, my first duty was to go and try and get Stan uh, to come back in the club and and end all the uh, you know all the all the daft things that were going on at the time. Was that process easier than you expected it to be, Barry? The uh, the the time from uh, the, the, yeah, they, they were really in trouble. The bank we're looking now with there was a. Um, a, a three million overdraft and they were demanding payments of at least half of it and they didn't have the money. So that was a, a, a big, a big problem that they had. Um, so really I, I came in, I know Ray Ingleby, Ray did come and join me later, but he didn't have as much money. Um, and the other guys, I'm not sure how serious they were, but it, you know, it, it happened all over Christmas. Um, I did tell them that I, I didn't want to do a loan. I did a share issue, so basically it wouldn't it wouldn't be a debt the club had. It would be selling shares in in the club, so that was capital and not and not a debt. Um, and from that, I went to see Stan, 
I remember going to see him on a dark January night at his house. And uh, after a few glasses of Pinot Grigio, he got on very well. And he came back and came back fighting for the club. So really, that's how I, I came in to be charged. But I was very keen on selling shares and people that wanted to come in and be a director, buy shares uh, in the club. And there were there were plenty around. And if we showed that we knew what we were doing, I'm sure we could, we could bring in other directors, which we did. And in, in terms of, of, of stand there, Barry, um, I know at the time, obviously, the club was struggling in what is now known as League One. And there was heavy defeats famously to Gillingham. Uh, and Manchester City, was there ever a temptation from from the board to try and bring a new face in, or was the was the intent always to go back to Stan, win him over, and see how the club could could go? Um, do you know? I'm not dead sure on where they were. That they just were not talking to Stan. They he he sort of took his bat home, and they weren't talking to him. It was an absolute mess. He, he'd gone out, and there were a couple of players. I can't just remember the names now. Um, who had said he would never play again, and the directors have bought, uh, you know, spent money on them, but they were just isolated out there, and it was a real mess. And there's a feeling of crisis all about the club. But obviously, things started to change, and in terms of transfers, Ian Wright came in. I've been told by my dad um, to come out of nowhere at the time, but how, how did that come about? Stan had uh, been coach at Crystal Palace when Ian Wright played there, so they knew each other. He was out in uh, in Scotland, playing in Scotland, you know, toward the end of his career, if you like. And uh, he wasn't getting in the team there. And it just seemed uh, maybe if we get him in, it can, it can galvanise the team for us to get, you know, to get the promotion that we're going for. And uh, so he, he wanted to come and he did. And it worked. Um, that That's it. He came. He was a big catalyst for everything was Ian Wright and a great guy in the club. And basically, it was part of us what got us uh, promoted on that day at Scunthorpe. We went into last out of the bottom two tiers of English football into the championship. Do you have any um, specific memories of, of Ian Barry? Because I always, I always, obviously, he was a bit before I started watching, but he always speaks so highly of Burnley and his time at the club in the, in the media ever since. He, he, he was, he was just great. He really was, and he. You know, he didn't come and just like, oh, I'll just see this out. He really worked hard and 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 uh, had a lot of. We had a lot of laughs with him. It was, it was great for everybody, and, and and you know, so it was it was ideal. It just felt that it was just right, and he he came on quite often. He came. He didn't play the whole game. He came on as a substitute, and he made a, a big difference to us. And uh, you know, it, it was a great move. And he, he put some bums on seats and sold quite a few shirts, I would imagine, as well, Barry. He, he did. It, it, it gave us a new, a new, uh, you know, f- aspect, if you like, that we were looking now, and people like Ian Wright were playing for Burnley. Um, and, it, it, you know, it, it was a great move and it worked. It did. We got the promotion that season. As you say, we didn't uh, look back from that, really. We... Uh, had, well, established ourselves in the um, in the championship as it as it now is, uh, but it wasn't all plain sailing, was it? Move, moving on uh, a couple of seasons uh, to what's uh, well commonly known as the ITD digital crisis. Um, I guess it was still relatively early in your time as chairman when the ITD digital bombshell hit the football league. Can you talk us through how that affected the club and what steps <laughs> you took to try and mitigate 
uh, the financial problems that it caused? It, it, it was it was a massive problem. Uh, obviously, ITV, the companies that that, that owned the on the company, they were big people in English. You never dreamt they 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 would not uh, they would uh, not honor the contract that ITV Digital had. Uh, it didn't do as well, but they, they're, they're big companies. But no, they decided to shut to shut it down. And we'd all thought, spent the money that we thought was coming in. I'm just trying to remember that. It was certainly three million up there. You read me what you'll find out, uh, Dave. Um, and and it was an absolute, we had to really scramble around, which we've had to do a few times in, uh, in my time at, at Burnley. But, it, you know, I always have this uh, phrase that I always use, I'll never bet the ranch. And I didn't think I was betting the ranch when we did the ITV contract. It was there, these big companies that run British television, and they walked away and they left us with with a big debt that we had to really scramble around um, to get through. And, and I guess there were big issues with things like player contracts. There was issues we had to... Um, we, 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 were commi- we, were committed, we were committed to the expenditure um, mm. that we thought... Uh, was was obviously based on the, the ITV digital deal. So we did manage to just scrape through, but it was a real testing time uh, for Burnley Football One Club. of the biggest challenges, Barry, the, uh, the ground, is it a case of... Uh, we, we, had, had to do some we, had var- some... we had various plans for the ground. We had all sorts of things that we were going to spend money on and everything. Uh, the players' wages were up and all that type of thing. And we had to retreat quickly from all that and just work out how to survive. Uh, just moving on then, in terms of hiring and firing, um, unlike some clubs, Burnley showed patience with their managers, I think we've touched on already, uh, giving more time to the likes of Stan Turnant and also later on to Steve Cottrell in particular, uh, when they might have been shown the door at other clubs. How easy is it to keep faith with an under-fire manager, particularly when there's a lot of press speculation and pressure from supporters? It's obviously very difficult. Uh, we do have contracts as well, and it will cost you to feed, just to get the the, uh, the manager to walk away. But it's not as simple as you know. You can, can have a bad run, and it might not be the manager's fault. Um, but I've, obviously, we've had to. Uh, I think I've sacked four managers. One's walked away, which we know about, and uh, you know that sort of thing. Um, and it's not an easy one to do because there's there's the whole upset in the club. But you ha- if you have to do it, you have to do it. It's Sorry. not just one man either. It's his entire staff quite often, isn't it? And then he has all his staff with him and the players he's brought to the club. The whole shebang is, is a revolution, but you do have to do it. Um, even Stan was a very difficult, you know, how he brought us back up into the championship. But I could tell he was, he was losing it a bit. And, you know, that was a very difficult decision um, for, for Stan to go. Owen Coyle, as you know, was the one that just left us in it and just walked away. That was that was a real shock for Owen Coyle. And if in my book I go through all these uh, in in detail, all these managers we've had and, and the uh, liaison between us and what happened. Um, but it's always difficult uh, to look somebody in the eye and say you sacked. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. 
there's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. I'm interested, Barry. Um, from from reading your book, there were some interesting stories. There's particularly one that caught my attention about the hiring of Owen Coyle. Now, he, Owen was on a podcast, um, another podcast a couple of weeks ago, where he talked about when he joined St. Johnston uh, before coming to us. And he said the St. Johnston chairman came around for a cup of coffee. And once um, the chairman had left, Owen realised he'd given him uh, gravy granules in his cup and not coffee. <laughs> And, so, and somehow he still managed to get the St. Johnston job. But the story of getting the Burnley job was peculiar to me in that it was a, a journalist uh, who put you on to Owen. So can you tell us a bit about how the um, the hiring of Owen Coyle came about? Well, Owen Coyle, actually, um, I think a Brent, it was the guy, the, the I forgot his name now. Phil Gartside? Gartside. That's it. Yeah. He was the guy, and he knew Brendan very well, and he was the guy that said, there's this good manager up in, uh, he used to play for Bolton, and he, uh, he, you know, he's doing really well. He could be a good manager for you. And uh, so we looked at it. Um, I actually, I was, strangely enough, I was in Scotland. I was stopping at Glen Eagles. Sonia thought she was going on a holiday, but I, I said, you know, I invited him there and had a good chat, and he seemed to be, you know, I, I was very impressed with him. And that's how it came about. We made the decision uh, to, to bring Owen Coyle in the club, which was extremely successful, as you know. And I think he was a good manager, an excellent manager. But the irony of the whole shebang was then Bolton, uh, Gartside, that, that suggested it. Uh, he was the one that pinched him back. And it was disgraceful because... It was at Christmas. He did, uh, you know, he he had the contract. He brought the players in, and all all these things. And the famous phrase he used: "I'm going to a club that's ten years ahead of Burnley." And he just left. We tried to keep him, uh, but no, he was away, and that was it, leaving us in the mire at the turn of the year. There was certainly, yeah, there was certainly some good times. I remember because I sort of started going on turf when I was maybe six or seven under Steve Cottrell, and then, um, and then obviously Coyle took off, and we had that incredible League Cup run, uh, going to the playoff final at Wembley. No, yeah. the win at Wembley was just something that we'll all remember and was fantastic for Burnley Club, and for us to get back into the Premier League after all those years, and I'm old enough to have been. Been at the Orient game, stood in the B-all end, and if we'd have lost that game, there would have been any Burnley football club now. And how we we got back in the Premier League through through him, and then this thing where he, you know, halfway through the first season, he said, "I'm off. I'm going to Bolton." The ten years ahead of Burnley, and that to me that was that was absolutely disgraceful. He had a contract with us and everything, but he was a good manager. 
I think he was a good manager. Um, but that's what happens. Left left on a sour note. But how, how much of a learning curve was it for a club like Burnley to, to reach the Premier League after so long? away from the top flight, because it's a, it's a new game almost. By, by it, it, it was fantastic. Well, first of all, we got like money like 40 million and 50 million coming in. I've never seen that. And, you know, I thought I'd see that at Burnley. And then to go out and, and, and trade, we did get relegated that season. Um, and, you know, uh, Brian Laws came in and it, it didn't work and we went back down. But we did go back down... You know, we didn't bet the ranch. We went back down strong and we were built enough to build the team up again. And uh, obviously, eventually get that promotion back to the Premier League with Sean. Yes, and before uh, Sean, obviously, we, we had Eddie Howe. Now, Eddie at the moment is having a fantastic time up at, up at Newcastle. But what were the qualities that stood out to you he, about Eddie? He, he, he stood out. Eddie Howe stood out. He's like the, this this young guy who... who uh, very young in managerial terms, who'd got got hold of Bournemouth and, and transformed it and went up. And we we looked round and thought he could be the guy that would that would you know be ideal for Burnley Football Club. Uh, and he 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 did a decent job, Eddie. But he and he, if it had carried on, uh, you know, he might have took us back to the Premier League, but. He actually didn't settle and his family didn't settle in the north of England, Manchester. And then the opportunity came back down to move back down to the south coast. Um, and he's, he's proven himself now. He obviously is a top manager, but we just couldn't hold on to him. He wanted to move. And that coincided, Barry, round about that time with um, your health issues as well. It's well known that uh, you took a step back and handed over the chairmanship in May of 2012, that was following your prostate cancer diagnosis, although you remained as a director. And that's the thing you talk about more in more detail in the book. Uh, can you explain to us what impact that had on your outlook on life and perhaps give us an overview of how you went well, on to use your experience um, it, it, to set up the charity, the Barry Kilby Prostate Cancer? What, what happened was I, uh, I, I had the PSA test uh, just part of a general, uh, uh, you know, just just a general thing, uh, medical. And I always remember I was coming back from Cheltenham Races of all places, and I got the key, the, the call from my doctor. Come in quick, you've got to see, you, you know, there's a real problem. Went in, went in, said you've got prostate cancer. It it is it is early enough to try and treat, and we'll see if we'll get and see if we can get through this and it was a massive thing in my life and that's when I thought I was going to have tons of medication and everything which I did have and so that was when I stepped down you know thinking I can't do a full-time job there um, and luckily the almighty has been on my side and I've, I've uh, survived but the big thing was it was a simple blood test that detected the prostate cancer and that made me think you know why don't more men get this done and, and us men are crap, just doing it on our thing, going to a doctor's, you know, on our own initiative. But the thought came in, ooh, if, if we could do it at the football ground, men will go down with their mates and get done. And that's what's happened. And uh, nearly every time we get about 10% of the men that we test have prostate cancer, we can deal with it. Um, I have a little smile on my face last last 
last Saturday, we had it at Blackburn Rovers. <laughs> so we had it at Rovers and over 100 men came. And I'll, I'll guarantee about 10 of them will have prostate cancer. But, and the key uh, is catching it early as well, isn't it? You've got to get it early. It's yeah. down the line, it gets out, and it, it's not the prostate itself, it's when it goes into other things. So, for the Barry Kilby Prostate Cancer Appeal, and the, the proceeds from my book, by the way, are all going to that. And, you know, it, it's been something that that's, it's took off. Um, I say I was at Blackburn, we've got Rochdale coming up, Burnley is after Christmas. Um, so, it's something we want to keep going. And... If I hadn't have had that test, I won't be here now. I carried on as, as a director, obviously, as you know. Um, and, and so I was able to do that. But I stepped down as chairman because I knew I couldn't, in the initial stages, with all the medication and everything, I, I couldn't do the job. And despite everything else that happened to you in the last decade, you must be extremely proud, as we all are, of how the Clarets progressed for the remainder of the decade, including promotion back to the uh, Premier League twice and the length absolutely. of time you were able to stay in the division. Yeah, and, I, and Sean Dyche did a fabulous job. I really, I wasn't his chairman, but I, we had a good relationship. Um, we used to, <laughs> it, it, during the week, he lived He lived down in Warley. His family was still down there. Well, I live at Ribchester, just around the corner. So we started, first he came to my house for a meal, then we started going out. We had our 10-point parties. Every 10 points, We'd go out and have a meal in the Ribble Valley and have a few beers, etc., etc. So I had a great relationship with Sean, and he did tell me a few things that I'm not going to tell you. That he was, I was quite a confidant of him, and I, he was a fabulous uh, manager. Um, and what he said, two promotions to the Premier League was, was just great, and it's put Burnley Football Club there in people's minds, hasn't it? That we can be a Premier League team, not somebody struggling down with you, you know. Your Rochdale's in the in, in in the bottom divisions. Yeah, we've we've completely changed. Even from when I was when I was younger, you know, you were you were lumped in with the likes of you know your Rochdale's. And when Burnley we first got promoted, it was who are these? They'll be around for a year. We won't hear from them again. And then all of a sudden, obviously, we're up there for so long. And I saw a a study a couple of months ago that said outside of the Premier League, the most the most googled football teams try and watch the stream. Uh, this season in the championship is Burnley. So it's just yeah. a complete change. But, I, you know, and also I do say in my book, and I really mean this, I don't think there's a place in England where the town identifies with its football club like Burnley. The usual line you put on there, you won't see a Man United shirt walking around in Burnley. But it means so much to the town. And where the, the ground is, right in the centre of the town, and the history, and now we have this, this, this record of trading blows with the big guys, is is really something that I think we're all so proud of. And you know, as like I say, I don't think there's another town in the country where the football club means as much to them as it does in the case of Burnley. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. I think you're totally right, Barry. Even in down in Bath, every day I go out and I wear my Burnley shirt, and people are like. Yes, really, really, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. We don't support our Man Uniteds or cities, and no. we're very much looking forward to going to Man United in the League Cup and hopefully turning them over once again. Well, that would be fabulous, wouldn't it? We, we never know. We could after after the win against Blackburn. I'm thinking, oof, 
Yeah. And, the, and the trouble is, the game before that was Sheffield United. I'm thinking, what, what team are we? You know. <laughs> it brings me on something I was going to ask you, Barry. Um, I was going through some old uh, Burnley Express articles just for research for this, and I was looking at the 1998-99 season. Uh, there was one article which cited rumours uh, that the club were planning to sell off Turf Moor to Sainsbury's and move to a newly built stadium in Paddyham. Obviously, you'd uh, denied that <laughs> as rubbish at the time. But was there ever any thought given during your time at the club to move away from Turf Moor? No, absolutely not. Turf Moor is such an integral part of the town. I've just touched on it there. What always puts me off is like something like Bolton now, where they have these, you know, the, the, the grounds right on the far suburbs of the, you know, uh, of the actual place, uh, whereas Burnley is right in there. But there's the history of Turf Moor and everything. Um, I, I would absolutely be distraught if we ever had to leave Turf Moor. And there were even the names so synonymous with Burnley that many clubs don't have that with the name of their ground. Um, it, it, would be, it would be a disaster if, if we had to move. Okay, well, on that note, then, what is the most bizarre rumour or story, other than that one I just mentioned, that you've had to deny <laughs> during your time at the football club? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Putting you on the spot. I think I need you to, to quote one to me to give you that one. Just say it again, then. The most, go on. What, what the was most... the most bizarre rumour or story from the press that you had to deny during your time as chairman? Either a player that might have been uh, due to sign or, or rumoured to be signing? Oh gosh, I I've got one. <clears throat> I've I have Go got on. one. I, I remember when I was a kid, and I think it was when, I think it was when maybe Coyle was about was signing, or maybe Brian Laws, where, where maybe Andras Villas Boas, the old Tottenham manager, had applied for for the job. How about that? I don't even know you're talking about. So I'd like, that, no, was, that was in Brendan Flood's book. I think that was true, wasn't it? Not that I'm aware of. I don't. I don't think he applied, but I think he he was a name oh. that was mentioned to Brendan. Well, I think, in yeah, Brendan's. yeah. Well, you, you get talking these things, don't you, all the time? But he, he never applied. He never no. applied. Um, There's a story squashed. I'm, well, I'm sorry about that, but yeah, I'm squashing it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a can give an exclusive, Barry. Were there any interesting names uh, you can mention of managers who didn't get the job, who applied when uh, when you were chairman? You never know with the managers. Like I said, I've had. In six in my time, the different ones. They all have different skills and they all have different pluses. None have been absolute, you know, bad and terrible. Um, but they all have pluses and minuses. And a football club's a strange thing. How, how, many, how, many play, how many managers tend to apply for the position? Oh, you, you, you can get 20, 30 different ones. Usually there are... The board, there's a board of directors where, where they, they have their eyes out for, for people that are out of a job and people in the lower leagues. You don't tend to think we'll go Nick Tottenham Hotspur's manager. That You just can't, can you? That wouldn't work. And and when I think about it, talks about Owen Coyle, that was a, he was in a, a small Scottish club. Um, Sean was out of a job. He got... He got uh, uh, Kicked out at Watford just after half a season, where he did very well, by the way. Then he, just, he, he, just, he just came as a doing a presentation with about six people we were interviewing, and he came over so well that we thought, yeah, we'll give this guy a go, and then it worked. So there's different ways it all goes. Where do where do you see him going? Ended up, Barry? Do you think a Premier League job awaits, or 
do you think maybe you had? I think it's I think it's a little difficult for him in in a sense. He got branded at Burnley with this like English, you know, play hard lads, get it down to the other end type of thing, and certainly the Premier clubs, particularly with foreign the foreign owners now that more or less the nearly all damn well foreign owners, they want in they wouldn't go for a Sean. But I think it's he it is difficult for him looking like at the Premier League and in our division, um of of all these, you know, American owned, um, you know, uh billionaires from Africa or something. I think he's he doesn't fit in with that sort of uh, you know uh, genre. Yeah, unfortunately so. Finally, one one more question from from us, Barry. Uh, we know you still you're still a passionate supporter, and you have a table in the corporate area uh, for home matches. How would how would you sum up your time? You know, as as chairman of Burnley, and heavily involved. I mean, I'll tell everybody to buy my book. By the way, this is all in and where it where it comes from. But it was it's been really fabulous. And it's it was such an important part of me, Dad's life, my life. I mean, I, I tell her, I did try and make it as a footballer at Burnley when uh, uh, I went to the, I joined the A team uh, when I was eighteen. They came for me. I had a place at Hull University, but Burnley came. I went, I went with Burnley, and they let me go at the end of the year. So, but there was some tough competition, though, wasn't there? There, there was a little bit of competition. Martin Dobson, who I went to school with, actually. Uh, he was a brilliant footballer. He, he he was at Bolton. Then he came. He played with me in the Burnley A team. And then Martin, being Martin, you know, was a fabulous player. My usual line here is now: Martin went on to play for England. I went on to play for Padium. Well, I think we could talk a lot more to Barry, but you can discover much more about his life and especially his time as Burnley FC chairman, director, and yes. then again as vice chairman in the brand new book, starting from scratch which is written with prolific Burnley FC author Dave Thomas. You can get signed copies direct from the author and the publisher. We'll give uh, details of that when we put the podcast out. Uh, So thanks again for your time, Barry, and we wish you all the best with the book and, of course, with the continued work you're doing to help the early detection of prostate cancer. Thank you very much. Up the clarets. The Known and Ever podcast is brought to you in association with the Talk Sport Fan Network. Natalie Bromley is the host and editor, and the show is produced by Matt Moss. Our resident statistician is Dave Roberts, and our FPL expert is Adam Dennett. The analysis show team is collectively Tom Whitaker, Richard Steele, George Poole, Charlotte Rigby, Adam Dennett, and Robbie Kopak. Our music is provided by George Gaskill, and our newsletter team is headed up by Jamie Smith. If you don't already, you can subscribe to our newsletter by visiting nonadnever.substack.com. Our thanks as ever go to our partners, TalkSport. We are, as ever, proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason.
Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.